Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about navigating the continuous disruption around us with the help of the natural entrepreneurial spirit we all have within us. With me today is Anwar Jumaboy, a keynote speaker, facilitator, coach, and co-author of Nine Entrepreneurisms, Management Practice for a VUCA World. Anwar's expertise is in helping entrepreneurs, corporate executives, companies, and teams execute a mindset shift to help change the culture in their organizations, resulting in increased sales, better productivity, and improved engagement levels. Welcome, Anwar. It's great to be with you today. Thank you, Michael, for the opportunity to speak with you and your audience. The acronym VUCA, which stands for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous, has been a popular way to describe the ever-changing business world long before COVID-19. And over the past year and a half, businesses around the globe have been disrupted more than one could have imagined. How can a business capitalize on disruption instead of being a victim to it? Well, Michael, that's a big question. So they, they, actually, there's probably two questions in that, right? So one is VUCA, and, and is VUCA a new thing? And right. what, I tell, what I tell everybody, and uh, you know, every time I look in the mirror, I, it, it reminds me that I have changed, right? We somehow get lulled into this false sense of security that things haven't changed, and when actually they are changing all the time. So the first point is the pandemic brought to the front the fact that change is happening. There was no way to ignore it, right? And so companies need to deal with change. The entrepreneurial way of doing dealing with change really is to accept that things are continually changing. Whereas some of the sort of mature companies tend to get into, and mature people tend to get into that plateau and they say that, you know, nothing's changing now, we've figured it out and that's it. And, and that's the wrong mindset for corporate executives to adopt because they're not having their antenna open to understand what's happening around them, right? So if you, if you start in a, with a belief that there's no change, then why should you be observant? Entrepreneurs have that mindset that everything is changing and therefore they are watching, learning, experiencing, experimenting all the time because it, they know it's changing. They don't know what's tomorrow going to be, right? Whereas some corporate executives and you know, mature companies, they, they don't have their antenna on. So many of our listeners are working for some of those large organizations. And in my past corporate experience, fell victim to this a little bit as well. And I've come across a lot of people and also had times myself where I felt I had to park my natural entrepreneurial spirit at the door. Correct. So how does your method of defining entrepreneurism translate to people who work in larger organizations? Well, you know, the, 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 what I tell people is we're all born, born entrepreneurial, yeah? Mike, Michael, you are, I am, we all are, right? We're all born entrepreneurial. But somehow when we get into the company, that, that's not a skill set that ha- comes with a degree or a certificate or, you know, so, so the company says, oh, we're not interested in that part of it. I, actually, to be honest, honest to be true, uh, Michael, if we were all honest, I would say companies wanted to hire robots, but they couldn't get robots. So they got people like you and me. So, you know, we all need to be entrepreneurial, but because it's very hard to get a degree, we don't tend to respect it. And so what happens with companies, they get so caught up in process and so worried about risk that really they would like to have robots. They don't want people like you and me, but because they have people like you and me, they have other people who watch out and make sure people like you and me don't do anything different. 
you have to get out of that. And you, the way to get out of it is to learn to experiment, not to punish people for, for making mistakes, but to take them as learnings. And maybe there's, it's time to restrain these people who I call custodians of procedure. And these are people who are just in the organization trying to make sure you don't do anything wrong, but then you can't do anything right either. Yeah, you're definitely missing out on a lot if you don't try some new things and exactly. take some risks, right? And try to move forward. You think about, I guess, you know, a lot of the innovations and inventions that have happened and leaps forward that organizations have made and that we've made as, as a globe as a whole, right? It's all because people are not afraid to try new things. And Michael, that point is underlined by the fact that, you know, because society and, and maybe companies and maybe even uh, business schools have been so focused on being best of breed. You cannot be best of breed, right? You can only be number one or two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So if you keep trying to learn from best of breed and adopt best of breed practices, you'll never be number one. Because by their nature, right? You, you, you're trying to get as good as somebody. And, and entrepreneurs say, hey, I never went to business school. I don't want to be as good as somebody. I want to be different. Entrepreneurs existed before business schools and universities, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they solve problems with competencies. And so I think a lot more needs to be done with understanding and learning competencies and, and the kind of stuff that, that you do, right? Because you, you have to learn your competency and you have to align your passion with your competency, then you get better and better. And that's naturally what happens in entrepreneurs. And as, as, as you're spearheading um, you know, executive education, the whole world of education is changing. And as Very I said to you, so. you know, you, 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 you can't find somebody with a certificate. If you're going to rely on a certificate for hiring, then I think you're in trouble. That's a great point. And in your book, I know you talk about the nine entrepreneurisms. Can you talk a little bit about those and how could somebody adopt those? Sure. So, so the three, three entrepreneurisms, I mean, nine is a big number to try and visualize, right? So let's sort of do it in three by three by three. So the first three are the ones that are most closely associated with entrepreneurs, which is self-efficacy, risk-taking, and passion. What are you really good at? And because you're good at and you're passionate about it, you take some risks and you learn and you get better and better and better. So self-efficacy, risk-taking, and passion are three that I think you, you have to have all the time, either as an individual or as a company. What are you really good at? Why are companies buying your products? Why are people hiring you? And then... If you want to get better, you have to push the boundary. How do you push the boundary? You take a risk, right? And why do you take a risk? Because you're passionate about what you're doing. The next three are innovation, opportunism, and learning. You have to innovate. You have to be opportunistic. And you're not going to get the benefit from this if you don't learn. Innovation, opportunism, and learning go together. And, and that's what emerging companies do, right? They are innovative. They're taking... Uh, risk, they're, they're seizing opportunities, they're learning from the customer and customer. And, and, and the biggest learning any company, any, any entrepreneur you, you talk to will say, it's the iteration, right? Yep. You put out a product, you get a feedback, you do something, you get a feedback, you know, that the iteration is learning, right? Learning is iteration. So innovation, opportunism, and learning are the second three. And then the final three are really realism, persuasion, and execution. Realism, is necessary because you have to know what you're good at. You have to know, you know, what, what your assets are. So you have to be realistic. 
At the same time, you have to take risk and be opportunistic. So the last three are realism, persuasion, and execution. And hey, if you can't sell, <laughs> you can't survive. And, and selling is part of pers persuasion, right? So as the English say, you know, execution is everything. I think there's an English saying uh, which says, well, actually, I'll give you two, two sayings, right? One is there's many a slip between the cup and the lip. I don't know whether you've heard that one, but it's a, it's a very, very old one. And, and, you know, it tells you that, you know, mistakes can happen. And, and if you, you really, you know, it's, a, it's like putting in, in the last bit, right? And the other one, of course, is, action, you know, an inch of action is worth far more than, you know, several miles of intent. And, and, and companies are always, you know, intent. I mean, there, there's so many people talk about this, right? The, 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 the gap between intent and action, right? Yep. What success stories can you share? And are there any best practices that have surfaced from either individuals or organizations that have really adopted and harnessed all this entrepreneurial spirit? Well, you know, many, many companies have entrepreneurial spirit in themselves, right? So there's, I would say there's two types of companies. There's the early stage companies who are naturally entrepreneurial because they need to be, they need to be different, they need to survive. And then there are the later stage companies that are, that are really exhibiting a lot of entrepreneurial traits. And in the, in the tech sector, I mean, one would say that, you know, Microsoft is an old company, right? 40 yes. plus years old, right? So they keep evolving. They, they keep reassessing what are they really good at. They're learning. They're never the first on the block but they learn and they get down to work. And so they, they, they're make it, making it work. And so the larger tech companies are, but so are, so are smaller FNC, you know, companies like Hire out of China, extremely innovative, right? Companies like Hire, like LG, you know, who started embedding chips in, and, and really embraced IoT very early. And, and they're gonna be the clear winners because yeah. these are companies who are willing to take that risk, willing to invest. And I think in the white goods market, you will see that the Chinese and uh, the Korean companies are by far the most dominant, right? Sure. And, and the kind of stuff that Elon Musk is doing with the car and Tesla, which is fixing the problem through software, these companies like Hire, uh, Xiaomi, you know, Samsung, that's what they're doing. The one company I looked at, and I know there's been a lot of stuff written about is Hasbro. They weren't just sitting around waiting they've branched off to online gaming and taking Correct. some of those board games and classic games that, you know, that older people remember from their childhood and now they're online. So exactly. and Lego, Lego is another one, Michael. Absolutely. Yep. You know, so Lego a family owned company existed, well, I don't know, forever. They've, they've only got one design of a brick. It only fits in one way forever, right. which means that every, every Lego piece is interchangeable right from the beginning. But the way they've adopted learning, the way they've adopted technology into the gameplay. And today, when you buy one of those home startup kits to teach machine learning, it's, it's, it's often got Lego pieces in it. Yep, absolutely. Right? So if you, if you want to buy a home kit to do programming and to start learning a, 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 you know, about design and, 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 and implementing design, it's often got a Lego behind it. Yeah, they've even broken into like the movie industry as well. You know, they got the Lego branded movies and <laughs> such too. So yeah, just a great uh, way to expand 
uh, into you know not be afraid to expand into new territories and into new offerings and such for your yeah because you know Michael company. as you as you well know that you know when you when you run a company and you see market share change companies don't end their life abruptly they like to paint the picture that it ended abruptly but actually if you look at it it didn't you know they they lost a bit of market share as we talked about earlier they became numb to what's happening around them they felt there's plenty of time so you know they 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 lived in that world where they thought it wasn't going to change and and so you know a little bit of market share goes and a little bit more goes and a little bit more goes and then you're way behind in the innovation curve and then suddenly you you're 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 too far behind which leads to a philosophical questions you know should companies live forever you know i've worked for some people who said that everything you know even good stuff has a start and an end right yes so Definitely one school of thought. Moving on to a slightly different topic here, just because you're entrepreneurial and really harnessing that entrepreneurial spirit in your organization doesn't automatically equate that it'll become a best place to work or a great place to work. Great. So how can leaders achieve success in both areas? So how can they really get the benefits of entrepreneurism and also make it a great place to work since we are dealing with the great resignation right now, as a lot of people are talking about? Well, you know, the, you, you, Michael, you've sort of covered two or three things. So the first point I would make is that entrepreneurs do not always create entrepreneurial companies. Very often, entrepreneurs create family companies. In other words, they are structured like a family, although they may not have a blood relationship, right? So they, 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 they become centrally controlled by the entrepreneur with his idea and his people. And, you know, so they become a sort of... Um, yes man type of organization and then at the other extreme you get entrepreneurial organizations who get so stuck in process and we talk about how process is going to kill and then that's the other extreme right so navigating between is a question of deciding which of the entrepreneurisms are applicable to you and paying very very close attention to how are you driving behavior through your reward system and like it or not the reward system drives behavior and if you start to, on the converse, punish people for experimentation, punish people when things go wrong and shame them, you're going to have a problem, right? So then nobody's going to stand up and say, uh, I'm going to be innovative. You, you cannot set the bar of innovation at the Elon Musk level. You have to set the bar at innovation that makes a difference to you. And stop thinking that, oh, I can't be an entrepreneur because I can't be like Elon Musk or, 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 or you know, Steve Jobs or James Dyson or whatever, right? You've start thinking about in my space, between my span of control, am I pushing the boundaries? And for companies, it's very important for leaders to understand that they have to find a purpose. They have to translate that purpose into their organization. And then they have to harness that. And harnessing today means nurturing, and allowing for individualism. And what's individualism? It's being entrepreneurial. Otherwise, you know, young people have lots and lots of opportunities. They can go out there and start a new business. Today, it is so easy to raise money for a startup. I mean, let me rephrase that. Today, it's relatively easy to raise money for a startup, right? When I had a startup 20 years ago, it was really tough. And, you know, maybe a handful of startups raised money in a year. Today, a handful of startups are raising money every day. It's because a lot easier every, with the connections we have and 
yeah, the internet and the technology yeah. and such. Absolutely. And also, Michael, we, there's a there's a bit of a wealth transfer from an older generation to a younger generation. So younger generation have a little bit of flexibility in trying to do something, and then investors are, are having the FOMO effect, right? Their fear of missing out. So people are making money in tech, and they're saying, "Oh gosh, I'm going to the bank and earning three percent." And 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 that's why the world of investing is changing because. You know the banks are, are are giving you these two three percent, and 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 people are saying, why on earth should I do that? And, and that's not investing; that's saving. You know, it's like the old world of putting money in a in a piggy bank, right? And then when you when you when you when it's full, you break it and take the money out, but all you're getting is the money you put in. Right. Yeah. And, why and, not put that money to work for you? Right. Exactly. And and the idea of the old idea of putting it to work was to get interest. And, and banks are stuck on that. Whereas you've got a whole bunch of companies now who are coming out and saying, hey, why don't you invest? So when we talk about change, I think change is happening on a macro level in the way that we learn, in the way that we work, in the way that we invest. And we're not going to be happy anymore investing and getting the 2% and the 3% because we want more, right? And the way we work, I mean, you know, talking to people across country today, going to work is not really about going to an office. And if you constrain yourself to hiring people who can come to the office, you're going to lose out to companies that are hiring across the world. I mean, today there are companies that you, you never go to work. I mean, never go to work, meaning you never go to the office. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's one of the you know positive things that have come out of the last yes. 18 months, right? Is we've learned more to, to build some of that trust and you don't have to be physically in a location to get your work done. Yeah, so Michael, this is, the, this is the mind shift, mind, mind shift issue, right? We, we are so, even myself, right? We're so ingrained in the old world, which is that if you are not seen to work for eight hours, you don't deserve to be paid. And entrepreneurs are saying, why should I be seen to work? Why don't you just pay me for the output I generate? And a lot of these companies are now shifting their rewards to output rather than hours. And, and that's a tough one for old companies because a lot of old companies don't know productivity of their people. So they are not able to shift to output. And then they have people who are in the organizations, the custodians of procedure that are trying to pull them back to pay for hour and they're losing out, right? So talent is not gonna work for these guys who say, I'm gonna pay you for hour. Then you're gonna get the bottom end of the pyramid. The yeah, guys who are good are going to go, go to, hey, pay me for what I can do. Right. Definitely have to focus on the results as, you know, it's not as important where you're working from, but what results are you, and what impact are you having on the organization? And one thing when we teach innovation, we talk a lot about, you know, continuous improvement, like you mentioned, and understanding what you're good at and taking some risks and not being afraid to. And one thing we do recommend is, having a different set of metrics for people who are involved in more innovative or entrepreneurial type things, because you can't measure them based off Correct. of those day-to-day yep. -day type execution metrics, right? That's right. Um, so just wonder if you have any thoughts on that. No, Michael, you, you hit the nail on the head, right? So the rewards make a difference. I think MasterCard, MasterCard did a huge transformation because they, they set aside a certain amount of money for development of new products. And it set aside, set aside at the beginning of the year with some two or three broad objectives. And it's not measured on a day-to-day, -day, a week-to-week, you know, how many products you came out. It's an overall objective. So 
the other problem we talked about with old companies is that we tend to have a reward system that needs to be seen as fair. And unfortunately, when it needs to be seen as fair, it doesn't necessarily incentivize the people that you need to incentivize, right? right. So, and, and, and nothing is, I mean, we, 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 we talked so about soccer a while back. If you, if, you, if you applied the corporate compensation system to the soccer uh, industry or the baseball or the basketball, everybody in the team would be paid the same. True. But they're not, right? Not so why is it why is it in high performing sports we are accepting of the fact that performers people who deliver deserve to get better paid but in companies we say no 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 that, that's not allowed <laughs> i'm going to watch tv and i'm going to watch a game where i'm quite happy that you know these people are unfairly compensated uh, and you can watch the michael jordan you know series on netflix People get paid different amounts of money based on their competencies. But that's okay in that world, but we won't bring it into the corporate world. So that, these are the things that, you know, old mindsets are, are, are struggling with. Very true. So what yes. advice or, you know, recommendations do you have for our listeners of things they can try today, things that they okay. can do to, uh, you know, to benefit themselves and their organizations? So I think the first thing the organization needs to do is talk to your revenue generating customer facing people and ask them in the last 12 months, what have you suggested that we do and why didn't we do it? And it's as simple as that. Start there, your customer facing people and your revenue generating people and just ask them, how can we be a better company? What have you said to your bosses that we need, needed to do in the last 12 months. And, and let's look at how many of those things we did and we didn't do. And once you have even one item that you didn't do, dig into it. Find out why you didn't do it. That's a powerful question to ask and, and to really dig into. Anything else before we wrap up here that you would want to share with our audience? I think you're on the right track in the way that you are developing executives. We didn't get a chance to talk about how learning has changed. And, and, and learning has changed, right? So it yes. used to be that you commit to a two-year, three-year program and one out of 10 people will actually practice that skill set. So, you know, only 10 to 12% of university graduates end up working in that particular field. And, and we've, we've sort of lulled ourselves into the thinking that that's the right way to go. And, and the new, gen, new generation and the more, more logical way is to do what I call learning, doing, earning. And so we're going to move into this cycle of learning, doing, earning, learning, doing, earning. Programs are going to get shorter. They're going to get more specific. The universities that start to adapt those and offer them to others are the ones that will be more successful. I mean, universities have been constrained by capacity. In this world, in this new world, there's no constraint on capacity. So do we really need one university in every town? I, I don't think so. You know, the first universities that recognize that, you know, we can be unlimited in our reach and deliver content on a modular basis, they're going to separate themselves from the others who are perhaps not as good. So that whole university system is, you know, is, is going to change. It's, you know, it's due for a change. Uh, very true. And uh, yeah, I think it's a little overdue in some cases, right, where 
you know, now we are seeing definitely an audience that, that still wants some of that in-person learning, but they want it just in time. So you know, that's where the executive education space is great, where they can get it on a non-credit basis, get it usually pretty quickly, probably pretty close to where they are, or they can have the option to travel. Then there is that audience as well that wants something a little more remote or a hybrid model where maybe they don't have to travel. They can stay home and be home with their families every night or drop their kids off to school at school in the morning and still t- get some learning or still you know, maybe spend a few hours a couple times a week learning and bettering themselves and still stay in the sales cycle and still stay with their clients and, and you know, be a part of the business and such. So there's definitely that too. And uh, you know, we're hoping uh, obviously that that's going to be a trend that continues. No, that you're right, Michael. Start with the mindset. Mindset that things are not going to be the same. Look at what you can take advantage of and, and, and reinforce to your teams that the customer is always right. And your interaction with the customer is through your front customer-facing people. We've also found uh, over, over time that a lot of clients and organizations don't quite know exactly why their customers buy from them. And you know, they might <laughs> think it's one this, thing. Yeah, exactly. When they start digging in, they find out, oh, there's actually a, a deeper reason or a different reason why they're doing business with us and why they like doing business with us. And if yeah, you I mean, really tap into that. Clay Christensen has this wonderful video, right, where he discovered where he many, many years ago discovered that uh, people buy uh, the milkshake because it's thick. It's, it's not dangerous to keep in your lap and they buy it really for the car ride. They don't buy it for the flavor or, or anything else. It's just buy it because it lasts 45 minutes. It's not as dangerous as a, as a coffee. Um, and, and so that's the reason why people buy milkshakes, right? So so some companies get by without knowing why, why their customers buy from them. It's amazing what you learn when you ask, right? You just take a few minutes and have a sit down with a client and say, you know, tell me a little bit about why, you know, we've been partners yes. so long, why we've been collaborating and doing business together. So that's right. That's right. So, and, and that, that's the, the learning in one of the, one of the entrepreneurs, right? Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Anything else that you'd like to share with our audience here before we wrap up the times we have? I think my, my closing message would be that you don't have to start a business to be entrepreneurial. And, you know, try and be entrepreneurial. And don't worry about being the best entrepreneur. Just make that those little steps. And, and you'll keep your organization going strongly far longer than if you just think that the world is not going to change. Uh, it's great advice. And yeah, if you think back even a year or maybe a year is not the best uh, example right now, but maybe three years or five years ago, Correct. you know, we were all doing different things and organizations were different. Uh, they should be evolving and moving forward. So yeah, anything as a yep. leader that you can do to implement that change and uh, try some new things, take some risks, it's all yep. good. Great. Cool. Well, Anwar, thank you so much for joining me to talk about the power of entrepreneurship and how we can try to apply these principles, uh, even if we're in a large organization and not a startup, to really improve the cultures in our organization and, and the impact we make on the world. If you're interested in more from Anwar, pick up a copy of his book titled Nine Entrepreneurisms, Management Practice for a VUCA World, currently available on Amazon.com. In closing, I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.